Welcome this morning to the Lord's house. We're glad to see you here and that you got your clocks all in the right time. Of course, if you're using any digital media, your cell phone automatically changes, so you have no excuses, but it's good to see everyone here today. We're starting with number 248 in our worship, Greater Than All Our Sin. Well, it is the grace of God that fits into that category and grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Let's stand, please, as we worship the Lord today.
Let's come to the Lord now, please, bowing in prayer, just taking a moment to prepare our hearts for the service today. It is a blessing to be able to come to God's house. It's a joy to know that His grace has brought us from another week, and we're given a new day of opportunity, a new day to be with Him, and a new day to open our hearts and to give thanks for all of His goodness and mercy to us this morning. Let's bow before Him. Father, what joy and rejoicing there is within our hearts to be able to come into Your holy presence today. And we're thankful, Lord, for the truth of this hymn we have been able to sing now. We're thankful, Lord, that from the darkness and depth of our sin and despair, grace reached down and lifted us from the mire of our sin set us upon the rock of our everlasting salvation. And today we know it is well with us. We know we have peace in our hearts. We know, O God, we have been forgiven of a debt that we never would be able to pay, and yet it has all been taken care of. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. O Lord, today it is a thought that goes beyond our comprehension. We certainly know, Lord, we're not worthy of the least of Your blessings, but given to us have been the very greatest. And we know that today we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus There is therefore now no condemnation against us. We have been forgiven and we are free. And yet, O God, we pray for the sanctifying work of the Spirit to increase, to accelerate, to be working in us because we know as long as our feet are on this earthly soil, there will be a wrestling against sin. There will be a putting down of the old nature. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would be given much grace and much power to be able to accomplish this, that we will live our lives to the glory of King Jesus. Father, give us help by the power of the Spirit today to enter in with joy and with power to worship, May the word of truth as we read and as we investigate today, Lord, let it be written on our minds. Bless every believer today with great spiritual advancement. And I pray, Lord, that we will be changed and made in another degree more like our Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this day We will know the answers to our prayers and the salvation of souls. We will hear the word of boys and girls coming to the Savior. We will hear the word of those within our own congregation, any who are not believers yet. And what about those, Lord, watching online today? Maybe some soul there will be under conviction of sin and call out to the Savior, what must I do to be saved? Dear Lord, hear our prayer. Bless this congregation, Lord, even more abundantly than you have blessed us already. Come to meet the need of every 
single family, every believer. And Father, we know that some needs are open and visible as they are physical and health needs, but others are deep in the heart and we cannot see them. But Lord, as we cast our burdens upon the Savior, we know, Lord, that every detail of our lives is open before our God. And therefore, help us to rest in that truth, having committed all to our God. Dear Father, we do pray again today for those in our, in our fellowship that need Your grace upon them. We pray today for Serene, that she would know much grace in her own heart and life, a touch upon her body to help her. Be with our brother Ron, uh, thankful that Joan is with us. Put your hand upon her, Lord, and continue to bless her abundantly. We also ask, Lord, today for uh, Brother Cranston, that you would support and strengthen him in Port Hope. And then we bring, Lord, special prayer today for our brother John Bodner, that you would be very, very near to your servant and help him in this hour of his need. And Lord, touch his body. We pray also for Dr. Garris, that you would continue to watch over your servant and bless him and his family. And Father, so many more, many we don't even know about, but as we hear of them, we bring them in prayer and Lord, we're thankful that you hear and answer according to your purpose and will. Bless our nation today. We are very conscious, Lord, of the, the need of restraint of evil, the promotion of that which is right and true. We pray for the salvation of our political leaders. O oh God, break through to their souls. Save them, we pray. And Lord, in the meantime, divert their wills from doing evil to doing that which is right. Oh God, help us in our day. We stand in great need. The church across our nation, we need to know that reviving grace. There needs to be an awakening of, of souls being saved. Lord, have mercy upon our nation. Remember all of our missionaries all faithful preachers of the gospel, may there be an in-gathering today of great spiritual blessing. So, Lord, hear our prayer, encourage our hearts, and bless us as we continue in our worship. We pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. We're singing again to the Lord's praise from Psalm 27. Psalm 27, the first selection will stand, please to sing. <clears throat>
Well, the sacrifices that the believer brings to the Lord are not the sacrifices as were done of the animals of the Old Testament. No, the, the psalm writer here brings out the fact that the songs of our praise to the Lord, they are the sacrifices that we bring, and we offer them with our hearts in thanksgiving and praise to Him, and let us do so with all of our minds, all of our being as we worship Him. We're going to read today from the Word of God, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, beginning at verse 36. A solemn portion of the Word. Let's pay close attention, please, to this. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto His disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation." The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, He is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, companion, wherefore art thou come? 
Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done, that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. The Lord will bless his word to our hearts today as we have read. We'll be considering this portion of Scripture, the account, a little bit later on in our service today. May the Lord open our hearts and our understanding again to see just exactly what it was that our Lord went through during this time. A word of welcome to you all today to our morning worship service. It's good to see you in person. It's good to see our sister Winnie back safely from Australia where she was visiting her family. We're thankful that she has been taken out and then brought back again safely to us. We'd ask you to please remember, oh, welcome to everyone online as well. And it's good to see our brother Cleland up there this morning with us. Our brother Robin had a mishap, as we would put it, and he was moving some snow at the school this past week and took a slip on some ice that was underneath a bunch of snow and went down on his wrist and broke his wrist in two places. And so he's got a cast on himself for probably six weeks or so. But our prayer is that the Lord will cause the bones to knit very quickly and they will heal properly and uh, the Lord's servant would not be set aside uh, too seriously. I was able to visit Reverend John Bodner this past week. It's been a long time since I've seen our brother because, well, one thing after another, his surgery that he had for esophageal cancer, and then he was in a a long-term care home, and COVID struck there, and then he got it, and so it was just one thing after another, it seemed. But I was able to get to see him this past Thursday. And not too long into our conversation, he said, I have some solemn news to share with you. And he said that he has been to his oncologist and the cancer from the esophageal uh, surgery that he had has spread in his body and has gone to his liver and he has stage four liver cancer. And so it was a solemn visit we had, yet it was also a joyful one in the sense that he is rejoicing that he knows the Lord, he is ready to go home to be with his God and Savior and is so appreciative and thankful for the prayers of God's people for him. And do continue to pray for much grace, 
They don't know how much time he has. The surgeon says possibly three months, but it's in the Lord's hands, and he is trusting that as well. And so do continue to remember our brother. He was in good spirits when I saw him, and he was in relatively good form, and uh, so it was a, a lovely time we had together. And uh, do remember our brother in your prayers. Please remember our services today and uh, our meeting this afternoon for prayer at 5.50 before evening service at 6.30. And then the Bible study and prayer time this Wednesday night will be taken by our brother Alec Newell. And then next Lord's Day, the service is by our brother Diderno. We're, back. We're very glad that he is back safely from Fredericton with his family. He was there for planned three weeks, but as I mentioned last Lord's Day, because of storms and flight delay, he was there an extra Lord's Day. Well, that's God's providence for sure, and the message that the Lord wanted the people there to hear. So do continue to pray for our brother. His internship here in Toronto started in July, and it goes for a period of nine months generally, and so he will be finished his internship here at the end of March, and it's come and gone very quickly. But continue to hold up the Lord's servant in your prayers. He is taking the Bible class for the month of March, and uh, so I would encourage you to be a part of that as well. And then, of course, next Lord's Day, the morning and evening services, he will greatly appreciate your prayers for him, as I always covet your prayers for the pulpit ministry praying for the preparation and the delivery of the Word. It is so important. And so please continue to hold our ser- the Lord's servant up before God in prayer. Some advance announcements to leave with you regarding the Young Adult Bible Conference we're going to be holding, God willing, in August. Please be in prayer about that and our own presbytery meeting here in May. And then also in the month of Easter, month of April, with our, some Easter meetings going on, a Truth in My Days ministry, uh, Pastor John Tors, well, here on March the 25th. And you'd be very welcome to attend those services on that day. And then the Brethren Assemblies are using our church for April 7th, uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. They're going to be holding their Easter meetings, and I know that you'd be welcome to be a part of those services too if you would like. And then in Port Hope, Reverend John Wagner is going to be coming, God willing, for, for meetings on April the 7th and 8th. That's Friday and Saturday, and they always have a lunch in the afternoon, a dinner. And if you would like to be a part of that, well, you can, you can sign up on the sheet. That'll be at the back in the foyer, and we can sh- send those amounts over to the church in Port Hope. But those are some important meetings coming up, and we want to thank God for them, the activity going on within the church, and praying that every meeting will be a meeting where the Lord comes down to meet with His people, and there will be great rejoicing in the Lord. We're singing again number 361. 361. When uh, we were having our session and board meeting this past Thursday, it was a meeting for the review of all the financial accounts from 2022. And the Lord has been again very, very kind and gracious to this congregation. And the tithes and offerings that were brought in by the congregation 
were greater than they were the previous year, and that is always a blessing. Uh, you have given to the Lord's work faithfully, and you have given your tithes and offerings. And let me say that if it's by chance you have not entered into the joy of tithing to the Lord's work and of giving to Him, well, you learn what it means to prove God in your giving. Because He says you bring in the tithes and offerings into His storehouse, and He will reward and bless you, taking care of your needs as you take care of the needs of God's work in His house. And this congregation has abundantly done that, not only in our own local ministry here, but the missionaries that are taken care of. There is a levy, an amount that we go give from our church toward the presbytery, which helps to take care of our uh, seminary and the missionaries that go out across the world. A large portion of our budget goes to take care of that. And then on top of that, the extra ties that you bring in because we have visiting missionaries that come, and that's a tremendous blessing. So the Lord has blessed us, and He has blessed you, and continue to give your faithful tithes unto Him. Number 361, I am so glad that our Father in heaven, this is a hymn and a chorus for the boys and girls, and we're happy to sing this as well. Let's stand, please, as we praise His name.
we look at the words of this chorus and this hymn, and certainly the final verse, Oh, if there's only one thing, song I can sing, when in his beauty I see the great King, this shall my song in eternity be. Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. Now, the joy of the Lord is an expression that comes to our faces when we sing. We're thankful for his goodness to us. And I'm looking around the congregation and seeing some who are very expressive of their joy. Uh, Chloe is using the Sunday school chorus's hand signs as she's singing that hymn. goes back a few years for her. And Azrael up in the balcony, he's singing out with all his heart as well. And that's encouraging. So let's lift our praise to the Lord in this final verse. good to praise God with all our hearts today. Returning please now in our Bibles to John chapter 18, John's Gospel chapter 18. We're going to read the first 12 verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, 
and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Father, give us, we pray, the necessary light and help to understand and take in, to comprehend to whatever degree we are able, Lord, the scene that is set before us. I pray that we will have application to our hearts, that there will be practical development in our own lives. Dear Lord, work today in saving those who are without Christ. Hear our prayer. Give me the help and the power that is necessary, Lord, that I might speak the word of Christ faithfully and clearly so that no one would misunderstand, no one would misconstrue, and that, Lord, blessing would be upon this word today. Hear us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last couple of Lord's days, we have been examining these very solemn and faithful steps that our Lord Jesus has taken in both our morning and evening services. And I want to do the same again today with the message that is before us. We're looking at Christ willingly arrested. Willingly arrested. The Garden of Gethsemane that records the final gathering of Christ with His disciples, it was a garden of olive trees. The name Gethsemane is of Aramaic origin, and it means an olive press. Three of the trees standing today and still bearing fruit are estimated to be over 900 years old. So that takes them back to about the year 1066, as one of them has been dated. But the account is that olive trees, if they have been cut down, or for one reason or another taken down, the roots underground can yet begin to bear other trees. And so there is a possibility that the roots of those trees that are standing today in the Garden of Gethsemane 
are the parent trees of those that were growing in the day that Christ was in that garden. An olive press likely was in that place. Whatever or whoever was the owner of that property took the olives from the trees and used them for making a very prominent substance of olive oil. There is one tree that is still standing in Bethlehem. It is called the Al-Badawi tree, and it has by ring analysis been estimated to be four to 5,000 years old, the oldest olive tree that is known in existence. It is fitting that the Lord Jesus would be found in the place like Gethsemane, an olive press, for there he was pressed out of measure. For a reason unknown to us, John omits the entire event of Christ sweating great drops of blood under the intense strain of wrestling with hell and of grappling with the cup of sin that he knew he must drink in bearing the wrath of God for our transgressions. Now, the fact that the gospel writers give varied accounts of the events of Christ's life, it is actually not a confusing point, but it is a further evidence that the Gospels and the Bible itself have divine origin. For if these were contrived or some sort of false records, they would all have striven to give identical accounts. But that's not the way it goes. And sometimes we would wonder, why did the Holy Spirit leave out such an important part from one Gospel and He includes it in another? We must leave that in the Lord's hands We do not know, but for a wise purpose He has done that. But what John does record here are some details about the arrest of Jesus that complement the synoptic Gospels, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As our Lord inches closer to the cross, each stage, every step is full of of instruction and the mounting evidence that the figure before us is not just a man, not just a prophet, not just a king, but He is the Son of the living God who became man and continues to be both God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. I want us this morning and tonight to think of the arrest of our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, that He was taken not against His own will. He was not overpowered by a Roman guard, but He willingly surrendered Himself to take the next major step in the plan of redemption to save our souls.
This was the end of our Lord's teaching ministry, and it was the beginning of His sacrificial work. Up to now, our Lord had operated as the prophet of God. What was He doing in that? He was delivering the message of God to the people. But now, He is taking up the next stage of His office as a priest. And as a priest, He is going to represent man to God. And in so doing, a priest must have an offering. He must have a sacrifice. Every Old Testament priest could not come before the Lord without the sacrificial offering and the blood. But this, this great high priest, he, yes, he will bring an offering, but we know it is not animal blood, not of goats or of bulls, but it is with his own precious blood that he will come to make an offering. He will not bring a lamb of the flock, but he will provide himself a lamb. The first thing we have to think about today in this, because as the whole story is advancing and developing, thinking about the taking of the Lord, the arresting of Him, there is a figure that comes to prominence, and that is Judas. And I want us to think about the treachery of Judas in this. There's very good reason why this name has been associated in history with the most deceptive, the backstabbing, treasonous sort of behavior that could be described. So to be called a Judas or to refer to someone with that name does not need much definition. And you don't have to know a lot about the Bible, but just a very basic account of the life of Jesus to know what that name represents. Judas comes to every one of us today as a very strong warning. And if you're here or listening to this message today, the warning is this, about how someone could receive so much blessing and privilege and be so close to God, so close to the Son of God, and yet go into hell is a great warning. He touched the door of heaven and yet descended into the caverns of the damned. He was standing on the threshold of glory, and yet He plummeted into a lost eternity. He was of the privileged few who for three and a half years, or twelve hundred and seventy-seven and a half days, or thirty thousand six hundred and sixty hours, 
He was in the presence of the Son of God. He heard the private teachings of Christ. He saw the miracles firsthand. He had been sent out to preach the gospel as they went two by two and was even able to do supernatural things. And he saw the impact of that gospel message that he proclaimed. By the way, friends, it helps us to understand that even the most disingenuous preachers can speak the words of truth and that God can use and does use His Word in spite of the messenger. Perhaps that's where Paul was when he said these words, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some of contention, not sincerely, supposing, he said, to add to my affliction and to my bonds. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice. So the apostle is saying that God will use His Word spoken out even by a Judas to bring forth a harvest. There is, I would say, a heavenly irony in this because it actually adds insult to injury to the devil to know that when his own crowd takes up the gospel intent on doing harm as it was to the Apostle Paul, but the outcome God will use by His Spirit to bring in a harvest. Now, that does not mean that Paul was thankful that there are false teachers out there. He was simply stating that when God chooses to take up an instrument to use someone that has the truth, and that truth is going out, the Lord will use His Word. Ah, my dear friends, we serve an omnipotent and all-powerful God, and He is the one who will take even from the mouths of devils to bring a soul into salvation. Now, why Judas was allowed to be part of the twelve disciples, it was part of the plan of God. He was a mechanism in order to see the steps of Christ come closer and closer to His humiliation, to His captivity being held by the devil's hands. And it teaches us that in the church of Christ, another warning, even in the very highest offices, there can be those who are the agents of the devil. And we have seen this throughout the course of history in the church of Christ. Those that are sent, and they are angels of righteousness, Paul says. They are preachers of righteousness, angels that come with light. And what is their intention? Their intention is to uproot. Their intention is to derail. Their intention is to ultimately destroy the testimony of the Savior and of His work. Let us all be warned about this and to beware. To beware 
for everyone to make their calling and election sure. That word does not go out to target anyone individually, but the word that goes out of warning is a warning to everyone online. You're listening to this word in the church service. Make your calling and election sure. Be absolutely certain, friend, that you are in Christ today, that you are a child of the King, that you know your sins are forgiven. You're not a hypocrite. You're not a phony or a false person. We want to be very sure that we are genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us all to be on our guard and aware that the devil would send his agents in. He would send his plants in. He would try to uproot, to derail, to destroy. We want to be on our guard and watching and praying and be careful. And not just to gullibly take in someone on account of their word, but what are we to do? Let's be like the Berean Christians to try the words according to the Scripture and to evaluate that properly. And in so doing that, the Lord will help us to be astute and aware. How would such a traitor as Judas, how would he think? It's not unreasonable, I don't think, for us to assume that he had aspirations for fame and place, much like Lucifer did before the world was created. He was not one of the specially favored apostles as Peter, James, and John. The Lord had clearly blessed these men with particular opportunities and ministry that the other's disciples did not have. Now, instead of being jealous about such things, we should learn from that very fact in itself that the Lord chooses to place His servants in certain places to do His business. And it is the Lord's business, it's not our business. And we must learn to mind our own business in the work of God. Because others may have more opportunities, they may have an elevated position, they may have a place of prominence that God sets them into, just as He did with Peter, James, and John. They were separated from the Lord to come and pray with Him, where the others were left on the outskirts. Could the others have become jealous of Peter, James, and John? I think they were at times. What about Judas? Would Judas not have thought, how come I'm not in the inner circle? He had aspirations, I believe, that would have bent him completely out of shape. But Judas was just one of the disciples, if we could put it in that way, because being a disciple of the Lord was a tremendous privilege and honor. But he was not in a higher position. Yet he certainly knew the habits of the Lord. He certainly knew the places where Jesus went, which presented for him means and opportunity of taking a leading role. When the time came, he had made his deal with the devil, masked, of course, as the scribes and Pharisees. And now Judas was coming to a place of prominence. Now Judas was going to be made a kingpin. He was going to be the man. 
the leader, the head guy. He was the one now showing and leading the Roman guard of soldiers and the officers of the Sanhedrin where they would find the criminal they were looking for. And all depended on him now. He was the man. And he was at home in his crowd. He was the man. In fact, we are told in verse 5 of John 18, don't miss that, that Judas stood with them. He stood with those that came to arrest the Lord. He was now separate from Christ. He was now separate from the Lord's disciples. And he was among his own people, standing with the Christ haters and all those that wished to do the Lord harm and to destroy his cause. Friends, today, this is not just a solemn story. It is a most fearful reality for every single person that is standing against Christ. And the question comes, where are, where are you today? Are you with the Savior? Or are you against Him? Are you on His side? Or are you on Satan's side? There's no place of neutrality here. You can't say, well, I'm just sort of a fence-sitter on this one. I can see the benefit of Jesus and what He's teaching, but I also am not just convinced I still have my own. I was speaking yesterday in a neighbor's house visiting Kamla and her husband and family, and there was a caregiver just finishing up her task in the home. And she said, I was brought up in a religion not Christian. We were talking away. The Lord opened up a tremendous opportunity of speaking the gospel to all the people that were there in the home at that time, in that moment. There was also a nephew of, of Renee there, and it was a very unusual but special opportunity God gave to speak His Word. And this dear lady was saying, well, I'm not of a Christian religion, but I've been brought up. I understand a lot about that, and I can appreciate so many things about Christ or about Christianity, and I love all religions. I have no problem with every one of them. And there was a fence-sitter and someone who was prepared to say, I can receive the benefits of all, but I don't want to be secluded to any one. No, my friend, you cannot have it that way. Either you are follower of Christ, you are in the Lord Jesus, you are saved by His grace, or you're on the outside of His camp. Now, you might not think of yourself as being a, as vicious or as violent of a person as a Judas, but Judas is only the extreme definition of what it means to be a Christ-hater. He is only the one who is known as the great betrayer of the Savior. But he is on the camp, or in the camp, of those with every other person who is outside of Christ. And so that question comes back today, friend. Where are you today? Are you in the Lord Jesus? 
Have you made your calling and your election sure? Oh, don't put that matter off. You do not want to come to the day of your death and find that you are in the same boat, in the same camp as Judas Iscariot. The second thought we have this morning is this, the willing determination of Christ to be taken a prisoner. In a human sense, our Lord Jesus could be described as a man's man. He was a true man. He was the truest definition of what a man should be. He was not a coward. He was not sheepish or timid. He was a man of conviction, a man that knew and believed and had a, was, was a man of destiny, not trivial, not peevish, not stubborn or unreasonable. He was a man's man in the truest sense of that word. David Livingston, the great missionary, referred to the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect gentleman. But our Lord Jesus was no ordinary man. He is the Lord of glory, God manifest in the flesh. And in this we are confronted, in this account, with our Lord's omniscience. That word omniscience is made up of two other words. Omni means complete or total, and the word science means knowledge. So our Lord had all knowledge, absolute knowledge, complete knowledge. And so we refer to Him as being, as one of the attributes of our God, as being omniscient. In verse 4, look there with me. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him. Now, that's a little phrase. It's just inserted there in the context, in the flow of the account. Well, you could read by that quickly, and you, you might miss the import of what is being stated. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him. This is a most telling statement about the Lord's personal awareness. He knew Himself perfectly. He knew His surroundings. He knew the events that would unfold before Him every day. Now, friend, this extent of knowledge it demands more than just ordinary capacity to function without having a nervous breakdown. If you knew all the events that were going to unfold in front of you in the course of a day, you would not be able to handle certainly those events that were most unpleasing or disastrous or troublesome. Enough that we have to deal with is the knowledge we have for now and what God allows us to take every step forward 
And as we take those steps, we can say, I am thankful that I do not know what is going to happen in the future everyday events. This is too much for an ordinary person to bear. Oh yes, I know we, we make our schedules, don't we? We have our plans. We write them out in a common type of a diary entry. And we work to see those things accomplished. In business, people talk about your, your early plan, your mid-term, your five-year plan, your long-term plan, and the idea of business strategies and all of that sort of stuff. Well, they might have their place in business. They might even have some type of place in ministry. But we have to be very careful about that. We do not know what a day will bring forth. And the book of James warns us that we must be very careful not to say, I will do this today, I will do that tomorrow, I will do this the next day. I'm going to plan out my life and just operate as if I'm in control of all things. James says, no, don't do that. Because we do not know what a day may bring. Our life is like a vapor that appears for a little moment, then vanishes away, and we do not know. So therefore, we are to take our place in the position that God has given to us. Friend, if you were to know that you were going to have a car accident that was going to be life-changing, if you would know that what happened to Kamla Edwards, my next-door neighbor, that one night as she is out doing her work, she comes home from her day's work, she's washing her garage outside, Within a half an hour later, she is being taken away in an ambulance, having suffered a massive stroke. And to this day, her life has been changed. If we knew that was going to happen next month, next week, tomorrow, it would unravel us. If we knew that a loved one near us was going to be taken away in some horrific situation or just in some illness or dropped dead of a heart attack, how would you function in your life? How would you operate in those days? We would become a basket case. We would torment ourselves, maybe trying to change the outcome of what was going to be in front of us. Or could we say, as Christ said, not my will, but thy will be done. We have to leave it there, friend, because we do not have power, nor do we have the mental or emotional capacity to handle the things that are left and must be left unto God. It is another evidence of the complex makeup of our Lord Jesus. Working in Him constantly was His divine nature in conjunction with His human nature. Now sometimes His human nature and will functioned under the normal limitations of a human being because He felt weariness, because He felt hunger, because he felt those natural impulses of a human being. But there are other times when the divine nature shone through him. 
and the knowledge that he portrayed and gave and relayed of the thoughts and of the intentions of the hearts of those men who were standing in front of him. He knew what they were thinking. Oh, friends, I am very, very glad that I do not know every thought that's going on inside your mind right now. I might be thinking, why are you not paying attention to the sermon? Why are you thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow or what lunch is coming up shortly? No, no, no. Put all those thoughts out of your mind. Think and focus now upon what we're thinking about. But I'm very glad that you don't know always what may be going on inside of my mind. We are limited in that way and the Lord has put protections and safeguards. That knowledge itself, it would be too troubling for us to be able to bear For if we knew what others were thinking about us, maybe some of the negative thoughts or judging or actions, it would would not be easy for us to control our responses. It would certainly not be easy for us to talk to the person as normally as we normally do. No, we, we can't handle those things, friend. But the Lord, He knew all things that were about Him. Our Savior's omniscience meant that every step leading to the cross could be played out in His mind. From the spitting that was about to occur, from the slapping of His face, to the savage scourging and the hammering of the nails into His hands and feet, the Lord knew all of this. Oh, what love! What boundless love the Savior has for me, for you, friend. And He loves us with a love, a dying love, an everlasting love. And He went taking every step for you, for your salvation, for me, for my deliverance, from a lost eternity. Friend, I want you to notice also His majesty and glory revealed. He said, Whom seek ye? He stepped out when those soldiers and officers, when they had come with their lanterns, He did not wait hiding off in the darkness somewhere for them to have to rustle through the bushes or the trees, he steps out into their face. He is no coward. He is a man of truth, of destiny. And he says to them, who do you seek? Now, he's not asking for information. The Lord knew exactly who they were and what they had come to do. Matthew and Mark, they speak and they say, a great multitude have come. Luke is perhaps a little more moderate, and he simply says, a multitude of people have come. How many? Well, we don't know. But it was more than just a couple of dozen, for the gospel writers were not given to exaggeration. And so in the darkness of the garden, when the Lord steps forward and says 
to their response, we are seeking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now, at what point does Judas come forward and kiss the Lord and saying, Hail, Master, because the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record that, but John does not record that. But sometime in the time frame, that, that occurred. And was it after they had asked, Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth? Did Judas step forward then, Hail, Master, and kiss Him? Did Jesus then say, I am He? Now, you must notice in your Bible, in verse 5, verse 6 rather, and as soon then as He had said unto them, I am He, you will notice that He is in italics. That simply means that our translators have added that word in. But that's not there in the original. It simply says, Jesus states to them in one word in Greek. And He says, I am. And at that moment, the glory of Christ shone through to these sinful men. They were standing in the presence of the one who had appeared to Moses in the burning bush. The one that said to Moses, take off your shoes. The one who had appeared to Moses commissioning him, whom will I say that I'm supposed to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go? I am that I am was the name. And our Lord, as He showed this, there was a great manifestation of His glory. And another occasion, the Lord did not show such a demonstration. Because when He said, before Abraham was, I am, oh, they took up stones to kill Him, but His glory was not shown at that time. But now, in the darkness of that night, Messiah displayed the glory of His being in nature for just a split second. And as He did that, they all fell backward to the ground. The garrison of Roman military in their armor. They fell back with their swords and their staves, clanging and clattering. Can you picture the scene? All these swords being tangled up with each other, and it would be like a box of tin soldiers all thrown on the floor, and they're all scattered around. And then, of course, the officers uh, from the high priest, they would have had their different type of garments on, falling back with their headgear and everything else all tangled up, trying to get up with some kind of dignity. Could you see the scene? And yet there's the Lord Jesus standing in the same place. He hasn't moved. But the Lord only showed them a flash of His glory. Because if He had revealed to them 
in that garden, the full-orbed glory of the Son of God, they would have been consumed in a moment. They would not have lived. The brightness of our Lord's glory is something that we cannot behold with the natural eye. The hymn writer wrote, Briefly shone His glory round. Mortal men fell to the ground. Great I am, most blessed Lord, willing subject, bound with cords, ever conscious of His sheep, always caring them to keep. Friend, there is coming a day when the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed to a greater level. When Christ returns to the world, to this world, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, the Lord shall consume that wicked with the spirit of His mouth and with the brightness of His coming. The word brightness in that text simply is the word appearance. And so the translators have given the word brightness to try and convey the appearance of Christ itself and the majesty and the brightness of that appearance is enough to consume His enemies completely. And the sword of His Spirit that will come from His mouth, His own word, that is going to be the day of the manifestation of the power and the glory and the majesty of the Son of God who is coming back to this world. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6, we read of that scene of the Lord's return. And that scene recorded this way, "...and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men..." And every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the face of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Judas was standing with his crowd, and Judas fell back with them when Christ revealed His glory. The majesty of His power you would wonder in your mind if that happened and those men had experienced that, Judas himself, would that not have been enough for them to realize we are not dealing here with an ordinary man? Would it not make you reconsider what am I coming to do? Whose camp am I in? Whose side am I on? 
But it only goes to show us, friends, that it does not even matter when ungodly and hardened sinners, when they receive manifestations, miraculous things. As many people saw the miracles of Jesus, they saw Him raise people from the dead. They saw Him give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. They saw many, many things, but their hearts were still hard. Because all of these things, they don't change the heart of a sinner. Who shall be able to stand in the presence of Christ that day? Oh, my friends, the explosive and crushing sight of Christ will have such an impact on everyone who sees that they will fall down before Him. And there is coming a day when Christ comes back that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day we are looking forward to. We are saved by His grace. We're looking forward to the wonder and the splendor of that day. And I trust and hope, friend, that you also will be there on that day embracing your Lord and not cowering away from Him. Ah, friend, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And the Lord has given that to us. What a great, gracious gospel privilege it is. Come then today, call on Him, speak to the Lord, confessing your sin, and you will find Him. He is a most gracious and willing Savior. And friend, call on Him now while He is your Savior, because there's coming a day when He will be your judge. And at that time, there will be no salvation offered. There is no second chance then. For now is the day of great grace and of great salvation. We're going to close our service this morning by singing a hymn that is not in our hymnal. And it's called Jesus in Gethsemane. The tune is to when this passing world is done. You will recognize it, I am sure. Let's stand, please, as we sing. I want the accompaniments to play through the first verse just so we can get the tune with the words, and then we will sing after that.
Father, today we can say with redeemed hearts we know the totality of our sin has been taken from us, been washed away. And Christ, our great Redeemer, the ransom's worth greater than all of heaven and earth and all of a thousand heavens and earth. Dear Lord, we are thankful this morning for so great salvation, so great grace. Lord, the debt has been paid and we are this day free. And, O Father, I pray that You would fill our hearts with that joy. Help us to think again of the willingness of our Lord to be bound, to be taken, because He was taken in our place, in our room. Hear our prayer today, Father. Part us in Thy fear, Thy rich blessing. Bring us back again to the house of prayer tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.